Please be seated. July 9th through the 17th, our youth group, uh, members from our youth group went with Rose, my wife Allison, and myself to Patterson, New Jersey for our uh, mission trip. So we had Marissa, Lucy, Katie, and then Rose, Allison, and myself. So we were up there for nine days. Our main ministry there was partnering with Child Evangelism Fellowship, which is worldwide children's ministry. And there in Patterson, they have day camps, free day camps all over the city uh, with lots of kids in them. And they're open to believers coming in and doing Bible clubs with the kids uh, this, this one week. And it is an amazing opportunity. So there were four teams total, including ours, that went out into Patterson that week and did two Bible clubs every day. They ran for about 90 minutes, not including prep time and hanging out with the kids after. And we had an opportunity to share the gospel, talk with these boys and girls, sing gospel-rich songs, play games with them, show them God's word, teach them God's word. It was a wonderful, beautiful time. So overall, we were able to reach all four teams were able to reach about 245 kids total that week. So 245 kids that week were able to hear the gospel over and over and over again through conversation, through song, through God's word, through memory verses. It was amazing what God did. Now, when we weren't doing that, uh, we partnered with the Lighthouse Pregnancy Center for an afternoon, and then we partnered with the Patterson Salvation Army to do two Bible clubs with the kids that they have there. It was a fruitful time, and everything went very smoothly, and it was a great time. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a video, and then each of the students will come up and just kind of share what God was doing in their hearts. But we'll do the video first. Follow my pride 
God taught me on this trip is to prioritize him more because throughout the trip mostly in the beginning I felt myself really wanting to scroll through social media and I didn't have my phone so I couldn't really do that so God taught me to focus on him because overall that was the main reason why we were there and he helped me through that throughout the whole trip and one highlight that I realized during the trip was I got to experience two kids make a profession of faith that I helped counsel. There were more, but those were the two that I helped counsel. It was good to experience them, because even if some of the kids didn't say anything, we still made an impact on their lives, and they got to hear the gospel more, more than one time. And another highlight was bowling after, um, which in case you're wondering, I tied for third in with Allison. So... <laughs> And a brief story that I could tell you is while we were at Salvation Army. And it was nice to see um, not only the kids, but the adults being really engaged in the lesson and the songs. And they were just having almost as much fun as the kids. And another thing is just the little stupid jokes that we made along the trip. Because sometimes we were tired or cranky or bored. And um, someone made a joke and it just brighten the mood and made us ready for the next task. Hello. Um, during the trip, I learned that I need to really step out more, especially with faith, because I got to teach prayer teaching and a lot of the kids really connected with me because like, through one of my um, favorite parts of the trip was teaching uh, art to the kids. I brought a bag of art stuff, and we sat down, and there was this one little girl who just couldn't participate in the activity. She just really 
didn't have the heat and the playing with others. So we came and we sat and we did art together and she really connected with me. She loved it by the end of the week. And then she got to play with the other kids by the end of the week because she was all excited about it and I was so happy for her. Um, another thing is uh, when during prayer teaching, I meant prayer, Connor would take his hat off and this one little girl would make fun of Connor's hair because it was all hatty and like fuzzy and it was really funny. But it was a great time. And we also prayed in the van on the way to um, camps and that was a great time that we all connected and we made little jokes and it was great. Hello. (laughs) So something that um, God taught me on this trip was just how much our stories, our testimonies can empower and reach out to others and just how many different ways there are to reach out to others. Um, My highlights were um, we went and this one little girl with Lucy, when they were doing art, she drew a picture of me. It is now hanging up on my wall. Um, And on the last day that we were there, we went to two churches, and that morning, both churches had baptisms. So it was really exciting to get to experience that. Um, And the one story that I have is there was this one girl who would separate herself from the rest of the group. And, you know, I wanted to make sure everything was okay. So I went over and I asked her, you know, what's going on? And she goes, well, I know the other kids are going to be really rowdy, and, you know, that I'm not going to be able to pay attention. So I separated myself so that I can pay attention and learn more. And by the end of the week, she professed to Christ. So I was really excited about that. So, as Connor said, we each, our team, we taught two clubs, one in the morning, one at night. Our first club, we showed up, and it ended up being 40 students. And they were from ages like elementary to like almost teenagers. So we decided that we were going to split the group, three with the younger, three with the older. So that means that everyone got double the work for the morning clubs. So something that God taught me through that was humility. Because I went from having to teach the Bible verse twice to having to teach the Bible verse five times every single day. And I mean, we were busy, so I had like little to no time to prepare. But God taught me that it, it wasn't my preparation that made the verse powerful. It was God working through the situation that made the verse meaningful to the students. So God taught me humility through that because it wasn't my lesson that was good. It was God's word that was good and that was going to work. A highlight for me would have to be our group devotional times. Every night before bed, we'd all be tired, falling asleep maybe once or twice throughout the prayer. But we'd sit together on the couches And Connor would give everybody an opportunity to kind of lead devotions. We worked through some psalms together, some really honest psalms about, you know, maybe if we're suffering through something or we're tired, we really need to be clinging to God. So we worked together in very open, honest devotionals. It was just really powerful to work together as a team. Um, So that was definitely a highlight for me. I always look look forward to that when we go on these trips. But my story that I would like to share with you guys is this is my fourth mission trip. And throughout these years, I have been trained in how to counsel a student, but I was always either teaching the the verse or doing review game, which happened during counseling time. So I always missed out on that opportunity to counsel with students because I was doing something else during the same time. This year was actually the first year where it was my turn to counsel, when a student actually wanted to come back and speak. So four years of preparation to this moment, I got to counsel for the first time. And I had one one girl and another boy that kind of was like listening from a distance. And um, the one boy said to me, they had a lot of questions and I was talking to him, but we were talking about heaven and he says, and I was telling them like, not only when you pass away, if you believe in Jesus, not only will you be in heaven with God, but you'll be in heaven with other believers. And he said, will you be up there? And I was like, yeah, I'll be up there. And he's like, well, when I'm up there, what if you don't recognize me? And I was like, oh, I don't know. We're going to have new bodies in heaven. I'm not sure what we're going to look like. And he's like, it's okay. When I see you, I'll tap on your shoulder and you'll know it's me. (laughs) 
Um, one of my highlights during the trip was also team devotions because um, going through the Psalms and just seeing the honest prayers of the psalmist and how they cried out to God and just honestly sharing their emotions and what they were feeling with God. Sometimes that's kind of um, takes me aback when I read some of those words and some of the things that the psalmist would say to God seem kind of shocking sometimes. Um, but it was just a good reminder to me that I need to be honest with God with my emotions um, because I have a tendency when I'm feeling like negative emotions like anxiety or different things to kind of lash out in anger instead of like feeling what I'm really going through and bringing that to the Lord. So that's something God was reminding me of during the trip that I need to go to him with my emotions. So there, I didn't do that perfectly, but I definitely were a few times throughout the trip where I was able to just stop and pause and pray. And that helped me stay in better control of my emotions throughout the trip. And it's something I want to work on. Um, even after the trip. Um, Another highlight was seeing um, Marissa get to counsel. One of the times I got to counsel with her after the Bible lesson and getting to see her share the gospel with um, one of the little girls named Elaine, who she said made a profession of faith. But it was just exciting for me to be able to come alongside her and see her have that encouragement in her faith as she gets to see God bring fruit. Um, And then another highlight was just to see um, that same little girl and one of her really good friends at camp. We were able to give them a Bible and a devotional. And, you know, sometimes, like, you give out Bibles and you don't know if they're really going to read it. Um, But the next day they came back to camp and they showed us. They're like, yeah, you told us to start reading in Mark. We got all the way to chapter 4. And here's all the notes of all the things we learned. And today while you're teaching the Bible lesson, we're going to write down everything we learned. And they were sitting there like taking notes. And it was just really exciting to see their enthusiasm to learn more about God. And just to see that they really did have that hunger to learn more about God. Um, because sometimes you don't really know if that child is just saying that they believe or if they truly do. And so I was really excited to see that that really was real for them. The thing Marissa neglected to mention was that I won at bowling, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> doesn't doesn't matter that much, but... Uh, it, it was a, a fruitful week, and we were very thankful uh, for what God did. Good conversations, what he did in our hearts. Uh, a lot of answered prayers, and um, any leftover money that we were able to raise, we are going to give back to the organizations that we partnered with uh, to say thank you, but uh, just to support the awesome work that they were doing for God. Um, in reality, the missions trip is a very difficult week, but in some ways, it's easy in that we get to go away get out of our normal lives, have structured time with God and structured time where we get to share the gospel. It's hard, but in some ways it's easier than being faithful here in our everyday life. So I am excited and praying for fruit that comes from the missions trip, but I'm also very excited, hopeful, and praying that God would do a work in my heart and each of their hearts so that they will be faithful, not just one week in the summer, but every day, even if God just taught them a little something, changed their hearts just a little bit. That is my hope and prayer for them, myself, and for all of us, that slowly over time, God will change our hearts more and more to be faithful evangelists and people who disciple. It was a good week, and I want to say thank you, because uh, we would not have been able to do this without you, praying and giving and your, your support. So thank you, New Life Church. Uh, I love you, we love you, and we have we have the best teens. They, they did very well. There was very little complaining. Uh, so I'm, I'm thankful for all of them. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for the team, for us, and for Pastor Andrew as he gets up and, and preaches from God's word. Lord, I do thank you. I thank you for those nine days. I thank you for our team. Lord, I do pray that what we did that week will matter forever. Lord, if, if you don't work, like it, it doesn't matter. So I pray you will work in the kids that we shared the gospel with, other people that we connected with. Lord, I pray you'll be working in our hearts. That we will be more faithful because of what happened that week. 
Lord, I pray you'll be doing that in all of our hearts here. That we will be faithful to you, that we will persevere until the end. Work in our hearts, God. I pray right now as we read your word, hear your word, I pray you'll start to do that heart work and start changing us even now. Thank you that you are mighty to save and mighty to change us. Lord, I thank you in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I thought it was really cool to kind of hear the testimonies and, and to see the video. I will say this. Connor, you might have won at bowling, but it's obvious all the girls have better rhythm. (laughs) You did the strut okay. Very, very cool. Well, we want to turn our attention and shift a little bit this morning back to Hebrews as we have been walking through Hebrews. And as we do this, I want to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 19. We're going to look mostly at verses 22, because I said last week as we started this, as we got here, I said we're going to finish here this week, and then we're going to start here next week. So let's start here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into it. It says, therefore, brother and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he then comes to, in light of all this great stuff and stuff we've been looking at and things we've been chewing on and thinking through over these last number of months, let us... Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, as we walk through this, there's three challenges real quick here that we're going to look at. Three things that he says, let us, let us. Okay, so let's go to verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. We're talking about faith. Let us draw near to God. We have been, he's been walking through this process, walking through this journey. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. He comes back and says, guys, we need to draw near to Jesus. We need to step into Jesus. We need to embrace Jesus. Hold on to him. He then says that a little bit differently in verse 3. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Now what we've, we've... I've done this a bunch of times, so we're going to do it again. What's taking place? Someone has been whispering in the ears of the Hebrew Christians. Because of that, they have backed up, and they have created some space and distance in their lives and in their hearts, in their attitudes between them and Jesus. But what is he saying? Guys, hold on to the confession. Hold on to that. Don't back up, but rather, guys... Lean in. Grab a hold of it. Don't, don't, don't waver. Don't hedge. Don't if, maybe, ooh. No. Grab a hold of it. Hold on to that confession of our hope without wavering. Hold on. Why? Since he who promised is faithful. God is able and God is faithful to be able to do in us what he has promised he would do. He's able to forgive. He's able to wash. He's able to cleanse. He's able to draw us to himself and make us acceptable in the Father's sight. Jesus is able to do those things. He is able. So don't listen to the lies. Don't listen to the whispers. Don't back up. Rather, lean in and hold on to that confession. He would then get to verse 24, and another, and let us. So if we're going to hold on, if we're going to embrace Jesus, we're going to hold on to that confession. In light of all this amazing stuff that God has done in us, there should be some response. There should be some reaction. 
So then, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. We talked about this last week. There's a response that takes place. Not only is that response not leaning back, but rather leaning in, holding on to that confession of faith. But that response also is saying, well, how do I encourage others? How do I come alongside others and encourage others in their walk with Jesus to encourage others not to back up, but to encourage others in how to lean in? So how do I encourage others? And so he says, so then let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. We have talked about this other times. Jesus is coming back. As Jesus ascended and as Jesus was with the disciples that one last time, the the angel appeared and he says, Jesus is going to return just as you saw him depart. And they saw Jesus rise into the heavens and we know that Jesus is going to come back. And throughout scripture we are being reminded again and again and again, Jesus is coming again. Even when when Jesus says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and then I'm going to come, right? And, and, And he's going to, he's coming to get us for the place that he's prepared for us. Now, he's coming again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But, here's the problem. When we go on a trip, we get a ticket, and we know our departure, and we know our return date. Jesus hasn't punched the ticket. (laughs) So we don't know the return date yet. And we get anxious about that. We get tense about that. We go, God, it's running late. When? When? And because he's running later than we anticipated he would run, we have a tendency to get lax. He's probably not coming at all. You know, let's go out to dinner. Let's go get a movie. I'm thinking I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go relax. Because I have no clue when he's coming. Probably not even coming at all. And we let the pressure off. And we relax. I got this this past week. This is really interesting. It showed up in my mailbox on Friday. My, my internet. Have you ever sign up for stuff and you're not looking for it, but it shows up in your mailbox? Yeah, and then, and then you're, if you're like me, you're a little nervous about hitting unsubscribe. Because as I say, you know, when you pull a gray hair, it runs away and it gets three more friends and it comes back. You know, you think about unsubscribes like that. You hit unsubscribe, and when you know when you hit unsubscribe, what you're really doing is you're subscribing for like three or four other things that you don't want. And so you're kind of nervous about hitting unsubscribe because you're not sure if it really will work. And so... But this is what I want, but I did hit subscribe on something else. But you just wonder sometimes. But anyway, this showed up on my mailbox. And it's from Tom Rainer. And Tom Rainer is a fairly well-known um, Christian leader, Christian consultant, a guy who does a lot of research and, and stuff. And he, and he said, he wrote this. He says, 11 signs you're becoming a church consumer instead of a committed church member, a, a person committed to the church you're part of. And it's really interesting because what happens when... When Jesus is running late, or we think he's running late, we get lax, and we let our guard down. I really, I really love, I won't read the whole thing, but let me read the, the 11 things that he, he wrote here. He says, your worship attendance becomes optional. You replace in-person attendance with digital attendance. Your attendance to a small group is declining or you stop attending completely. Your attitude towards your church is more critical. Your giving declines or stops. You critique sermons instead of listening prayerfully. You see church as a place to meet your needs instead of your meeting the needs of others. And particularly when we think about how do we provoke each other to love and good deeds, right? You move readily to another church when your needs are not met. You get frustrated at what other church members aren't doing. 
You don't pray for your church regularly. You don't share the gospel. So here's the challenge as we look at this and think about this bigger picture. These people, they know that Jesus is coming, but they feel like the train is late. They're thinking he's not going to be coming for a really long time. They get lax. They get lazy. They kick back. And then in the midst of that process, things start to happen that create doubt and fear, and they start to back up. And the writer's coming back and says, guys, don't back up. Lean in. Trust. Follow. Pursue. Be very intentional in your walk with Jesus. Don't be lax. Be very intentional. Because he who has promised is faithful. Out of this passage, we then walk into one of those warning passages that Hebrews is famous for. There's a series of warning passages in Hebrews. And in this whole conversation, the challenge of the warning passages is that the writer is writing to the Christians and saying, guys, you really need to guard yourselves because as you're backing away, you need to ask yourself, are you really in Jesus? Are you really in Jesus? Is there a genuine faith in your life or are you just playing games? And that starts in verse 26. It says, For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. By a terrifying expectation of, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled the Son of God, who is regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he, he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know that the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So let's go back to the beginning. So part of what's going on here is as people have gotten lax, as they have started to retreat, they're giving themselves permission to behave badly. Have you ever seen someone behave badly? Yeah, most of us have. And as we have conversations with those individuals sometimes, you realize that they are giving themselves permission to behave badly. And they're justifying that bad behavior. And as they're saying, well, I've, I've worked real hard, I deserve this, or you didn't see what that other person said to me, so therefore I, I deserve this. I'll give you an example. Happened, happened to Brian yesterday at work. Brian works at a car wash. It's one of those automated things where cars go through the car wash. Brian has two cars going through the car wash, going through the queue. And one of them, there's a sophisticated car in front of a pickup truck. And this sophisticated car, you're supposed to put it in neutral, but something was going on in the car wash. And because of the stuff that was going on in the car wash, it went into park. Okay? And because it went into park, the car wash went, boom, shut down. The guy behind him in the pickup truck is honking the horn. So then they get the car wash up and going. They both get out. They... Then there's spots where you can vacuum out your cars and all that kind of stuff. Well, the guy in the sophisticated car pulls up to the guy in the pickup truck, opens the door, pulls him out of the truck, and starts to threaten to beat him up. I guarantee you, the guy in the sophisticated car gave himself permission to act obnoxiously. He said, I am justified. I deserve this reaction. I'm entitled to beat this clown behind me to a pulp because he annoyed me. Police showed up. He got arrested. Guy pressed charges, all that good stuff. Dumb. Dumb. But we give ourselves permission to behave badly. Now, sometimes we we don't behave badly, i.e. we threaten to beat people up. 
But we behave badly by we, give our, we start to give ourselves permission to allow sinful habits or sinful routines or sinful behavior to enter into our lives. And what he says, he says, For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. What's going on? Part of what I think he's saying is, listen, if you have come to that point in your journey where you say, I'm a Christian, but you've kind of backed up away from God and you're giving yourself permission to invite sin into your life and patterns of sin into your life, you really need to ask yourself if you really are in Christ. Because if you're giving yourself permission to behave sinfully, if you're giving yourself permission to create space and distance between you and God and the things and standards that God, you know God wants you to walk in and you know that God wants you to live in, but you're giving yourself permission to have space and distance, you really need to ask yourself if you're really in Christ. Because if you're not in Christ... You're facing the prospect of judgment. You're facing the reality of judgment. He goes on. Sometimes, no, wrong spot, I'll get there in a minute. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, why does he talk about the law of Moses? Because he's coming back to the law of Moses, he's talking about the law of Moses, because he has just spent some time talking about the fact that Jesus is greater than the law of Moses. So if on the lesser law, if on the introductory things that God was introducing to lay groundwork for ultimately the coming of Jesus. So even on the, in the law, if God laid foundations and structures so that there were consequences for choices, and so two or three witnesses led to execution, guys, he's saying, back up. So if on the minor, the, the, the law that was not as great as Jesus had consequences... How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled the Son of God and who is regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? So if God had expectations with significant consequences with the law, What do you think God has as far as expectations for people who know, hear, and understand the gospel, who know, hear, and understand the call of God through through Jesus, and don't embrace it, but rather treat it as frivolous, not necessary, and they treat it as profane, secular, not worth anything? What do you think the consequence is going to be for them? And the implication, severe. Now again, I would encourage you to go back to Revelations at some point in time. For me, for me, the hands down scariest verses of Scripture. Revelation chapter 20, I think it's verses 14 and 15. It talks about, in anyone's name who was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And they are there forever. That for me is the scariest set of verses in scripture. Because it identifies the destiny in the future of people who are apart from God. People who have not yet embraced Jesus. And so we're talking about that and and I think that's the implication. Listen, the future that you have if you're not in Jesus and the, the future you have from God if you have disregarded Jesus is serious and significant. Don't do that. Now I put in our notes, and you'll see in the notes again, he says something here because he's not only talking about those who have disregarded Jesus, but he's also said something here, and those who have insulted the Spirit of grace. 
Why would he say that? It strikes me. Because again, as we talked about this a couple weeks ago, was it last week? We talked about how that passage talks about the presence of the Holy Spirit where God said, we're reading in the Psalms, and God said, and then we read in, in Hebrews where it says, and how the Holy Spirit said, we talked to you about how in our culture today, some people say the Holy Spirit is not God, and yet as you look at those verses, God being discussed in the Psalms, and God being in the Holy Spirit being identified as talking, we find out that they are one and the same, and the Old Testament uses the language Yahweh, which is the word for God. The the most elevated, most sacred word for God in the Old Testament. And we, the writer of Hebrews was identifying that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is God. And then he comes back to this statement that also says that, that, that they have insulted the Spirit of grace. Who is it that applies all of the finished work of Jesus to someone's life? It's the Holy Spirit. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has finished that work on the cross of Calvary. But it's the Holy Spirit who comes in and takes up residence in a person as they come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who applies that work of Jesus to our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who then would come alongside a person and empower them to walk in the grace and walk in the power and to walk in the might of God. But what are they doing? They are treating the work and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit as something insignificant, unnecessary, unimportant, worthy of being trampled on, despised, and disregarded. And as the writer is talking about this, he says, when you disregard who Jesus is, you're disregarding both Jesus, but you're also disregarding the work and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to understand that he's also identifying then again that the Holy Spirit is God, but he's also identifying that the Holy Spirit is a person, not just a power, not just a force. And this is important because, again, in our culture today, there is an argument that's going forward that says the Holy Spirit is not God. The Holy Spirit is not an individual. He's just a power and a force of God, which is not accurate, not true. Now, can I fully explain and put together all of what it means to be the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and, and explain all that in a pretty little picture, tie a bow on it and give it to you to take home? I can't. But what I do know and understand is as the New Testament teaches and preaches on this, we see that God reveals himself in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct individuals and yet one. Now, can I rationalize all that and put all that together? And no. This is one of those spots where I'm just going to sit on that, stand on that, I'm going to trust it, but I don't understand it. But I'm going to trust it. I'm going to accept it as true. And I'll stand here and say, I accept it as true, but I'll also say, I have a real hard time explaining exactly how it all works and how it is true. Now, so we look at that and we come back to that, but then he continues. Find my spot again as we do that. For we know that the one who said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. He finishes this conversation with this. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. God is alive. We wrestle with this whole worldview in our culture today. And a lot of people want to say that God is dead. God doesn't exist. God isn't real. He's not here. You know, it's just things have been fashioned from evolution made it all. Or maybe the deist will say God made it and then he walked away. He disappeared and has no interest, no time, and no focus on anything anymore. But as I come back and I look at scripture and I look at what the Bible has to say about who God is and what God has done, scripture is really clear that God created and that God continues to be active and engaged in history. God is alive. God is interested in history. God is engaged and active in history. And when, when we die, Scripture is really clear that we are going to have accountability to him. Now, people would like to say God is... People, all my life, I've been interacting with people who want to create their own definition for God. Okay? 
all around me, you see that taking place. Well, God is, when someone says God is, if they don't have a biblical definition, they're starting to create a definition of God. God is love, God is peace, God is patience, God is kind. Um, But God isn't, and they would say God isn't angry, God isn't mad, and you can't just choose your own definition. So, if I want to use the word house, but I think I want house to mean my pop-up camper. Is it my house? No, it's not. House is something else. That's a camper. I can't change the meaning. I can't redefine terms. But people want to do that all the time with God. And God says, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is a scary, it's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Because when we live and do things that are offensive to God, which is sin, that alienates us from God, God is offended by sin, and he must judge sin. Now God sought to address the problem of sin through the person of Jesus Christ, and God sent Jesus and gave us Jesus so that Jesus went to the cross, took our punishment, took our sin upon himself, And again, one of my favorite verses of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, And God made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so God sought to address the problem of sin through the finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And so we can then approach God not with fear, not with anxiety, not with nervousness, because God has addressed sin through Jesus. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. God gives us Jesus' righteousness, which makes us clean and present, clean and pure in his presence. But if a person chooses to reject Jesus, a person chooses to disregard Jesus, and a person chooses to say, I can make this and do this all on myself without Jesus, then they're going to stand before God without Jesus. And that is a scary thing because they're going to be standing before God in their own sin, in their own disobedience, in their own rebellion, instead of covered by the forgiveness and the righteousness of Jesus. It is a scary thing then to stand in the presence of a living God. And we're being warned Don't back away from Jesus. Don't disregard the teaching of Jesus. Don't disregard the the working of the Holy Spirit as he seeks to call you and apply the finished work of Jesus to your life. Don't disregard that. Lean in. Embrace it. Grab a hold of it. And let Jesus be your Savior. Now, he finishes up this conversation in verses 32 to 39. And he extends a challenge to them. He starts with, Remember the early days when, after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times you were, you, you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance so that after all you have done, God's will, you will receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. And he comes back and he says to the reader, he said, listen, I'm extending a real caution, and I want you to be really careful and really intentional on the choices you make and really think about what it means to walk with Jesus and have relationship with Jesus. 
There's a real danger for someone to back away because backing away is an indication that they've never ultimately had a relationship with Jesus to begin with. And if you have never had a relationship with Jesus, you're staying in a place of judgment. Lean in is the challenge. Lean in to Jesus. Remember the early days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions and all, and at other times you were with companions of those who were also treated that way. Talking about the early part of their journey when they started to walk with Jesus and there was hardship and there was persecution because of the relationship with Jesus. For you sympathized with the prisoner and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Now don't miss this next part because this is really important. It's really important. Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. See, what he was reminding them of is as they came to that initial point where they started to embrace Jesus, they started to look past the here and the now. And they started to look towards eternity. And as they started to look towards eternity, it allowed them to look at everything that they had in the here and now. And they said, we like these things and we can enjoy these things and these things have meaning in my life. But, and that's a big but, but, these things are not primary. These things are not essential. And while these things are nice and they're enjoyable and they make my life pleasant on many ways, if I lose these things or these things get confiscated or these things get taken away, it's not the end of the world. Because my focus and my attention is not ultimately on these things. I have a better possession which is waiting for me in eternity. And that can't be taken away. And that won't be confiscated. So I'm going to live with my focus on eternity instead of being connected and tied in to all the stuff here and now. Now we've heard the classic line that you never see a hearse follow, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse. Okay? Now, in ancient times, so we, some, of the, some of the fun people had getting into the pyramids or getting into some ancient um, burial sites and that kind of stuff is the belief system was that if you put food there or, or spears there or bows and arrows there or money there, they would take that with them. All it did was provide information and extra money for those who came back later and dug it up. They didn't take it with them. It was still there. They didn't take it with them. And so these individuals are recognizing all this stuff here right now, temporary. But what I'm living towards and living for, that's eternal. That's what really has value. And they, they got that. So, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Do you remember any of your lessons on endurance? Do you remember any of them? You have had many lessons on endurance in your life. You started your lessons on endurance when you went to school. Where you learned to sit for 40 minutes while the teacher taught. Now, it didn't start that way. Okay? And they would do all sorts of things to build up that endurance. And they would 
have a five-minute lesson time and then a ten-minute lesson time until you got all squirmy. And, but then they would eventually build to 30-minute lesson times. And you learned endurance. Has anyone run? Anyone here run at all? No one has ever run? My goodness. I hate running, but I have still run. And I had to learn endurance. I would go out for track. In the first week and a half, two weeks, our track coach would make us run distance. Oh, it was vile. Horrible. I pole vaulted. I didn't even run the length of the auditorium. About this length here, the width. I'd run about the width, put a stick in the ground, and go for a ride. I didn't need to run miles and miles. But they would make us run miles. You learned endurance. You learned to pace yourself. You learned to run. Because you knew if you started out that run like it was a 100-yard dash or a 440, which was way too long for me also... If I started out even like I was doing that, by the time I hit the road off of the church property that started the long route, I was dead. I needed to pace myself. I needed to work on endurance. All of us have had things where we've had to learn endurance. Anyone drive a long distance? Man, that's endurance. We've all had to learn the importance and the lesson of endurance. And we do that also in faith. Learning to just hold on. To not give up, but to take that next step. To not quit, but to take that next step. To wait, and to be patient, and to keep on going, and to keep on stepping. Endurance. And he says... For yet, in a very little while. Now it feels like forever, doesn't it? Because here we are 2,000 years later, and, and the train still hasn't come. The return ticket still hasn't shown up. And we feel like it's forever. But yet, in still a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. You ever find that? You're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And finally they say, Everyone in row so-and-so may board. But you don't have like an hour or so to get on board. No, you got like 10, 15 minutes, because if you don't have that 10, 15 minutes, they're gone. And he will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. But if he draws back, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But he says, but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. You see, guys, hold on. Don't throw in a towel. Hold on to Jesus. Are there challenges and are there hurdles? Are there obstacles? Oh man, there are. You've had property confiscated. You have had, you'd faced persecution, but hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus is coming. Now can I tell you something? It feels like sometimes it's been forever. But in the context of eternity, boy, you didn't hear that very loud boy, better. <laughs> right away, it's gone. It's, it seems like a blink, almost nothing. Hold on. Hold on. Trust Jesus and hold on. And then he does something. But we are those who have faith. Now here's what's fun. Two weeks we're going to start looking at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith. Talking with those who waited, and he's going to illustrate what it means to hold on. 
He's going to illustrate what it means to be patient and to wait when things seem like they're falling apart or things that you're anticipating and waiting for haven't shown up yet. He's going to talk about what it means to live by faith. Hold on. Grab a hold. Live by faith. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so very much for your richness and your goodness to us. Father, I thank you for the warning of Scripture that warns us to not be lax or casual or flip with our faith, but rather to treat it with seriousness and and to treat it with that level of, of respect and concern that honors who you are and that recognizes and honors what you have done that recognize and honors your presence and the work that you're seeking to accomplish and do within each of our lives. Father, build into us a patience and an endurance to hold on and to rest in you and to trust. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.